All right, Shabbos, say good morning. Begin by thanking our sponsors. To thank our Talmud Torah sponsors for the month of E.R. Yonah and Shashi Ehrenfeld for dedicating all the Shurman Joshos this month. Le'ilu Nishwas, their grandfather Yosef Mishmul Aaron. Our Talmud Torah sponsor, Mark Karstadt, for dedicating Shurman Joshos this month in memory of his mother, Chana Bas Shragai. Our Day of Learning sponsors, Zalman Dov and Susan Leiter. Lezecha Nishmas, Zalman's father, on the occasion of Ishloshim Nasan Svi Ben Moshe Zichron Livracha. Our Dafyomi sponsors, uh, Richard and Judy Noodleman, in memory of Richard's father, Jack Noodleman, Yaakov Ben Moshe Tzvi, Chaim and Hannah Rothschild, in commemoration of the Yartite of Chaim's mother, Sarah Rivka Bas Laser, Michael and Rachel Terniansky, in, in commemoration of the Yartite of Michael's father, Simon Terniansky, Shimon Yaakov Ben Baruch Ali Melech. We hope that in the merit of our Tam Torah, all of the Neshamas will have an Aliyah and the families in Nechama. And of course, with that, let us begin. We have the incredible Zuchus today to begin a brand new parak in Meseches Yoma. Incredible opportunity, a beautiful parak ahead of us to continue along a little bit in the Avodah. So, we'll say, so now, whereas the first parak was totally focused on the sequestering and preparation of the coin Gadol, the second parak kind of zooms out a little bit and focuses more on the generalities of, the, oh, I should say, right now, I shouldn't say the second parak. Right now, this Mishnah focuses a bit more on the generalities of the Avoda. But in Mir Hashem, of course, we will find our way back. We will find our way back to the Avoda of Yom Kippur. So we'll say, here we go. We'll say in the beginning, in the beginning, whoever wanted to go out and do Truma Sadeshin. So we'll say, so remember again, we spoke about Truma Sadeshin a little bit at the end of the last parak, which is in the morning, the first Avoda that was done when there was the removal of ash. Now remember again, there was, there, were, there was removal of ash from the outer Mizbeach and from the menorah. The truth is there was also removal of ash from the inner Mizbeach as well, the Mizbeach HaKitoras. So this was the first Avodah done in the morning. Important to note, as I mentioned, at least for the outer Mizbeach, they did not remove all of the ash from the top of the Mizbeach, right? They only actually took a little bit of ash, we'll, we'll get into this a little bit more, and deposited on the ground by the side of the Mizbeach. In fact, we saw in yesterday's daf that that was one of the miracles of the Beis Hamikdash, which was what? That they would put the ash down on the ground, and what would happen? It would get swallowed up by the ground. That was one of the miracles in the Beis Hamikdash. So the Gemara says... If you look at Rashi for just a moment, Barishona Komisha Rotsa Litrom, Kalkoin Shahayame Oso Beis Av, Rotsa Litrom Hadesh and Shakris, Torim Velohaya Payas Adar. So we'll see, Rashi just points out when we say whoever wanted to go ahead and do the Chuma Sadesh and could do so. So remember again, we have to qualify that statement. Whoever means what? It doesn't mean any coin could come in off the street. Remember again, there are 24 Mishmoros. Each Mishmar was given a week in the base Hamikdash. A Mishmar was made up of multiple Bate Avos, multiple families. And all, and, and again, each family served for a particular time. So whoever, in other words, when we say whoever, that means any coin whose base Av, whose family was serving in the Mikdash that day, had the right to claim the Avod of the Truma Sadashin for himself. What happens again if more than one coin shows up in the morning? To do the avodah, this is great. Ratzin va'olin bekevesh. So they race up the ramp of the mizbeach. Kala kodem es chaveru ba'arba amos zocha. 
And I will say, whoever reaches, now again, we're going to see the Gemara is going to say, what's the finish line? It says they race up the ramp. Race up the ramp to where? Where, where, where are they running to? What's the finish line of the race? So this is great. Whoever gets to the, whoever crosses the finish line first, but you have to beat your friend by Daladamas. In other words, it's not just enough to go ahead and have a neck and neck race and for one coin to win, but he has to go ahead and be more than four Amas in front of his fellow coin. Vim Shavin. What happens if both Kohanim cross the finish line at the same time? So we'll say, remember again, cross the finish line at the same time is a relative statement. Either it means literally they're tied, or it means what? It means what? They're within Dalaramas of each other. So we'll say, so what do you do in that kind of case? This is great. Hamamuna Omer Lahem. So we'll say, the Mamuna was the, we'll see this, was the coin who was in charge of handing out the lotteries, or I should say running the lotteries, the payasim. So the Gemara says, Hamamuna Omer Lahem Hatzbiu. The Mamuna would say to them, stick out a finger. Rashi says over here, Extend the finger. Rashi kind of, Rashi goes ahead and gives you the whole Gemara, but we'll save it for the Gemara. So the, the Mamona tells them, stick out a finger. And ultimately, again, what do they extend? You have the choice. Every coin has the choice to extend. We're actually going to see both say that the coin would stand in a circle, and every coin had the choice to extend either one or two fingers. But you can't put out a thumb. Can't put out a thumb for reasons in Yerat Hashem that we will see. One time, two Kohanim were going ahead and two Kohanim were going ahead and racing up the ramp. Virat, the Gemara says, they're racing up the ramp. And the race got a little bit intense. One coin went ahead and pushed his fellow off the ramp, and the coin who fell off the ramp broke his leg. Once the Bezdin saw that, again, now, we'll say there's an element of Sakana, it's getting a bit too competitive. Right? There's an element of Sakana, they're pushing each other off the ramps. They decided, you know what? It's not Kalakodim Zachabah, it's not whoever shows up gets to do this avoda, but rather, again, the only way you get to do the avoda of the Truma Sadeshan is to draw lots. Therefore, they made it into a lottery. This way, it was a little bit more organized, and the lottery would decide who would get the opportunity to do this avoda. Arba Payosos Hayusham, there were four lotteries which were drawn inside of the Beis HaMikdosh, Vezeh HaPayas Harishon. And this particular, this particular lottery for the Truma Sadeshan was the first one. Good about say, so th- this, this is opening Mishnah of the second parak, totally focused on the Truma Sadash. Says the Gimara, So I don't understand. Why didn't they just go ahead and make the Truma Sadash subject to lottery from the beginning? In other words, it, the, the, the evolution of the Truma Sadash is quite interesting. In the beginning, whoever wanted to do it came, sh- showed up and did it. More than two people showed up and did it, they raced. If they were tied, you drew a lot. Uh, people racing up, racing up, one pushed each other off the ramp, broke his leg, then they made it a mandatory lottery. Why not just make it a lottery from the beginning? So we'll say, this is incredible. So the Gemara says, Meikara, Savar kibun da avodas lailahi, lo chashiv lahu, velo asu. 
Because Rabbi said, it said, Shuma Sadashan is Avodas Laila. Now, what does that mean? Shuma Sadashan was done really before dawn, even before dawn, right? Or right at dawn. So it's not, you know, it's, it's before normal daybreak. So it's Avodas Laila. Because it's Avodas Laila, people, the Kohanim, didn't think it was so Chashiv. Velo Asu, and they didn't come. And Rabbi said, for them, it was Shuma Sadashan. Shuma Sadashan is taking out the trash, right? So people didn't think it was so Chashiv. So the, 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 the Kohanim did not feel. The Rabbanim did not feel, excuse me, that Allah said they had to go ahead and institute a, 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 a lottery for it. They were happy with what? With whoever would show up. But then they saw the Kohanim were actually coming. And not only that, but again, unfortunately, it was becoming a little bit of a dangerous matzav. So they went ahead and they established the lottery. So the Gemara says, okay, so let's talk about this just a moment. So you're telling me, the reason that they did not establish a lottery from the beginning was because of a general feeling that people were not, Kohanim, were not so interested in this avoda. And why were they not so interested in this avoda? Because it is avodas laila. It's avodas laila. It's a nighttime avoda. And I must remember again, is, first of all, is there nighttime avoda? No. Remember, again, I will say at night, pretty much all that's happening are like support services. You know, so they felt, now, now again, Shulam Session happens to be part of the Avoda, but, but they felt that the Kohanim really relegated it to a second tier of importance, and therefore, we're happy with whoever shows up. Once they saw it, became a little bit competitive, to the point that Kohanim were Mamish pushing each other off ramps, then again, they just instituted a, they instituted a pie. So the Gemara says, one second. Vahari evarim upidarim da'avodaslaili. They're also now the burning of the leftover fat limbs. Remember again, so there's no carbonos, there are no carbonos offered up at night. The only thing you do at night is you burn the leftover fats and limbs from the carbonos of the day. So that's, I will say, that's mamish done at real night. The takinu leirabon on paisa. And yet, I will say, there is a lot, there was a lottery that was drawn for that avoda. So I, you see over here that the Kohanim do want to do the Avodas Laila. They do care about Avodas Laila. So at the end of the day, why would you not draw a lottery for it? To which the Imran says, no, no, no. Because it's incredible. Because the Haktar Sevaran Pidarin, that's Sof Avoda Diyamamahi. That's ultimately, again, the end of daytime avodah. So I'll say here this distinction. There's a chilek says the Gemara between that which is the end of daytime avodah versus what we'll call nighttime avodah. So the end of daytime avodah, haktaras, evarabdar, the burning of the limbs, that the kohanim are interested in. But chumas hadeshen, which is nighttime avodah, that they weren't so interested in. So the Gemara says, hai nami tchilas avodah diyamamahi. But why don't you go ahead? You could easily relabel Shuma Sadesh Nabosai as what? As the beginning of daytime avoda. In other words, you don't have to call Shuma Sadesh nighttime avoda. You could just as easily call Shuma Sadesh the beginning of daytime avoda. And shouldn't that go ahead and elevate it to a position of, of Hashivus? To Am Rabbi Yochanan, because we'll say after all we learned, Rabbi Yochanan said, Kiddish Yadav Lechumas Hadashan. If a Kohen did, I was remember again, before the Kohen does Avoda in the base of Mikdash, he must do Kiddush Yadayim Veraglayim. He must sanctify, wash his hands and feet. So if a Kohen went ahead and washed his hands for Chumas Hadashan, Lemachar Ein Tsarech Lekadish. The next day, and I was remembering, it wasn't mean the next day, I was remembering again from the next Mishnah. When was Chumas Hadashan done? Remember, Lulu Chazar, when was Chumas Hadashan done? According to the Mishnah? Right? What, what, what was the term the Mishnah used? Kriyas right? Kriyas And the Mishnah said, 
either at Kriyas HaGever, a little bit before Kriyas HaGever, after Kriyas HaGever. So remember again, Paschaling like Rav, that Kriyas HaGever means, well, it, actually it doesn't matter, we don't have to give them a focus. Uh, so we'll say so again, which means that you could do Truman Sadeshin before dawn. A little, not, not too much over, but a little bit before dawn. So now the interesting part over here is, remember, before dawn, what's the status of before dawn? It's Lila, it's night. Yet, interestingly enough, Halach Lamaisa, if a Kohen did Kiddush Daiv Raglayim for Trumas Hadashin before dawn, he need not do another Kiddush Daiv Raglayim after dawn. Which tells you what? Which tells you what? That Trumas Hadashin is really Tchilas Avoda Diyom. It's the beginning of daytime Avoda. So, why do you tell me that? Why treating Trumas Hadashin like nighttime Avoda? It's the beginning of daytime Avoda. To which the Gemara says, Ema, shikvar No, no, no. So the Gemara says, all it means, it doesn't necessarily mean that Shuma Sadashin is a daytime avoda. It just means that Shuma Sadashin is the beginning of avoda. So since you did Kiddush Adayim for avoda, you need not repeat it again for the next avoda. Ikedam, you're supposed to say, but again, but it's still, it was still looked at by the Kohanim as what? As Avodas Laila. Ika da Amri, Meikara Savar, Kevan de Ika Oneshina. Both listen to this. Another possibility is also. Also, remember again, here's what we're trying to understand. Clearly, the fact that that the Rabbanon did not institute a pious, a lottery for Trumas Hadeshan in the beginning, but rather the lottery was only a reaction to some violent Kohanic behavior, indicates to us that Kohanim were not so interested in Shumas Hadeshan to begin with. So there was no lottery because the Rabbanon were happy with whoever showed up to do the Avodah. We're trying to understand why that is. So the Gemara wanted to suggest because it's Avodas Laila. Well, what about Akhtar say Varimu Pidarim? That's also Avodas Laila. To which the Gemara says, no, they looked at that as how... Uh, they looked at it as sof avodas yom. the burning of the fats and limbs, that was more looked at as the end of daytime avoda, not so much nighttime avoda. Ayyubadigimara says, but again, you could just as easily look at Shuma Sadeshan as the beginning of daytime avoda. Vaharaya, if you do Kiyoshan Raglan for, uh, for, for, you need not repeat it for subsequent avodas. Tushikimara says, okay, Igadamri, Meikara Savar, Kevun di Ika Ones Shina, Lo Asu. Supposed to listen to this. So the Rabbana thought the following. Since Juma Sadeshan takes place early in the morning, and people generally do not like to get up early in the morning. You know, we'll say, it's interesting how the Gemara refers to this as Ones Shina. We'll say Ones means extenuating circumstances beyond your control. There's sometimes early in the morning, there's Ones Shina. This doesn't even need any explanation, right? This, this, is, this is, especially to this cover, right? This, this is self-evident, right? The feeling that you have sometimes when you have to wake up early in the morning and you mamish feel, this is literally impossible. This is impossible. And the good news is, because in the morning you have enough lumdas going on to justify sleeping later, you say, ah, if it's Ones Shina, we'll say, what's the lacha by Ones? Lacha by Ones? Right? There was extenuating circumstances. Your brother says, says like this, since in the morning, this only shina. I remember again, this is mamish very early, right? This, this is already, if you wanted to do truma sadashan, you are waking up a good amount before dawn. Lo asu. So people aren't getting up that early. Kevan de chaza de asu, vika asu nami lidei, lidei sakana, takimele rabbanan paisa. But then the Rabbanon were very surprised and they said, no, Kohanim are coming. And not only are they coming, but what? They're shtekel poshi, right? They're, they're even getting a little, a little into this, a little too into this. 
They instituted a lottery. Says the Gemara, But one second, I will say, the burning of the leftover fats and limbs, that was done late at night. Is there not Oni's Shina? Is there not also a concern that the Kohanim are going to go to sleep and not do this Avoda? This is so profound. To which the Gemara says, Shiny Migna Mimekam. We all know it is so much easier to delay going to sleep, to go to sleep later in order to do something than it is to wake up early. So therefore, again, on both sides, there was no concern that there wouldn't be Kohanim interested in Haktar Sevarim Pudarim, even though that would require them to go to sleep later. Because again, if you have something you have to do, you go to sleep later. But again, there's no, so the Gemara is saying is there's no Ones Shena with going to sleep. But there is Ones Shena ultimately again with waking up. So the Gemara says, is this why they made this takana? If you look at Rashi, Rashi says, we'll say, When you read the Mishnah, so the Mishnah makes it sound like the entire reason why they made a lottery for Chuma Sadashan was why? 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 Because of the incident that occurred. Right, it sounds like that incident where the two Kohanim were racing up the ramp and one pushed the other off the ramp and he fell and, bro- fell and broke his leg. That was the entire reason for the lottery. So the Gemara says, is that true? In fact, the Takana to make a pious, to make a lottery for the Truma Sadashan was actually for another reason. What was the other reason? This Sanya, Misha Zacha B'Truma Sadashan, Yizkeh B'Sidr Ma'arachal, We'll discuss this more, but we're going to see as follows. In fact, what happened was Rebbe said that when they drew the lottery for the Trumas Hadashan, the Avodah of the Trumas Hadashan was actually bundled with two other Avodos. If you won the lottery for Trumas Hadashan, you also got to go, you also won the privilege of setting up the Ma'arachah, the pyre on top of the Mizbeach, and arranging the two logs, the two pieces of wood. Again, we'll discuss all of these Avodos in Mirat Hashem. It's in the wide lines of Rashi, five lines, five lines in. So the Gemara says, you make it sound like the only reason they instituted a lottery for Truma Sadashan was because of the episode where one coin pushed the other off the ramp, but that's not true. They made a lottery for the Truma Sadashan. Why? Because Halacha Lamaisa, whoever won the Truma Sadashan lottery also got other avodos. To which the Gemara says, here we go. So we'll say here, Ravashi comes along and now gives us the whole picture. And this is the conclusion of this section. Here we go. Says Omar Ravashi. Shtei takanos havu. In fact, Rabbi Osai, there were two different takanos <coughs> when it came to the Trumas Hadashan. Me'ikara, in the beginning, Savar lo'asu. The Rabbanon were afraid that Kohanim would not show up for the Trumas Hadashan. After all, it takes place around dawn, right? There's Ones Shena, right? People like, we, we all like to sleep, right? So therefore, they were afraid no one was going to come. Therefore, originally, there was no lottery for the for the Truma Sadashan. Kevan the Chazu, Kevan the Chazu de Kaasu, Vaasu Nami Lide Sakana, Takino Le Paisa. So I'll say what happens. Then when they saw the Khan were showing up, not only were they showing up, but what? But what? They were a shtickle aggressive. 
Right? They were even pushing each other off ramps. So they said, okay, we need to rein this in. And they established the lottery. They both say, now watch what happened. Watch what happened. Once they established the lottery, the Kohanim stopped showing up. Why? Amri, miye, Because listen to this. I'm happy to wake up to do the Trump of Sadashin if what? If what? If I know it's mine. I'm not waking up for a lottery, right? Because also remember, again, only one person wins that lottery, and depending on the number of Kohanim who show up, the statistical probability of it being me diminishes. So I will say, you know, in Halacha, there's a concept, Bari Vishema Bari Adif, right? So the Bari is, I could sleep. The Shema is, maybe I'll win the Shema Sadashan. I'll take sleep, right? I'll take sleep. Sleep is guaranteed. So I'll say, so amazingly enough, when they instituted the lottery, Kohanim once again stopped showing up. So what did Rabbanim do? They had to sweeten the deal. Right? So how did they sweeten the deal? They said, okay, whoever wins the lottery for Chuma Sadashan will also get to do these additional avodos as well, arranging the Maracha, the pyre, putting on the two pieces of wood, and this way again, this way people would show up. Kohanim would show up, would wake up early, even though, again, they may not win the lottery, because at the end of the day, this lottery was quite significant. Whoever won this lottery had the privilege of doing the first three avodos of the day. So I will say that, according to Ravashi, now we understand the evolution of this story. So in reality, so right, first we start off with, first we start off with no lottery, then Baruch Hashem Kohanim show up, which is fine, and become aggressive, we have to institute the lottery. Once we institute the lottery, people stop coming, Karim stop coming, because again, why should I wake up if I, know, if I don't know for sure that I'm going to get to do this avoda? Attach other avodos to this lottery, and hence again, Kohanim once again started showing up for the first lottery of the day, which was not only for Truma Sadeshin, but also Truma Sadeshin, Sidur HaMa'aracha, arrangement of the pyre, and Shnei Gizre'it's in the placement of the two pieces of wood, which again we'll discuss in the game of Vaiter. Both say beautiful. Ubizman Shem Rubin. So both say, remember again, so the Mishnah said, so, so first stage in the Mishnah was, before they started doing lotteries, right? So whoever showed up, stage one was whoever showed up got to do the Avoda. I, what happens if more than one person showed up? What would they do? In stage one, what would they do? A foot race. A foot race, right? So, so the foot race. So then the Gemara says, Amra Papa. So we'll say, the interesting part, as I mentioned when we're learning the Mishnah, is it's not clear from the Mishnah what was the finish line of the foot race. So let's know the Gemara. So Amra Papa. Pshitali arba amos da'ara lo. So we'll say, it's clear that this wasn't a foot race on the ground of the Beis HaMikdash, right? Why? Because after all, the Mishnah says, Olin Ratzin va'olin bekeveshtan. Because I will say, the Mishnah clearly says they were running up the ramp. I so say it was it wasn't the pshat that it was a foot race, you know, on we'll call it on the floor of the base Hamikdash. Because again it says they're going up the ramp. Fine. Kamaisa Namilo Ratsan Kamaisa Namilo Ratsan Vaolin Bekevishtan. So the Gimar says the Gimar Svahadar Kala Kodamaskavero. So the Gimar says, furthermore, it can't be that it's the first four Amas. Well say Kim maybe it was just like a short race up the first four Amas of the ramp. Because again, the Lashon of the Mishnah is Ol Ratzin Va'olin, right? They run and they ascend, which sounds like they're traversing the entire area of the ramp. Vahadr Kala Kodem Eschavero, Debeni Beni Namilo. For them, I will say, couldn't have been some 
arbitrary line on the ramp itself. Why? The Gemara says, because we will say how it's, it's not clear. In other words, in order for the race to be won, you have to have some type of clear finish line. So for it to be somewhere just on the ramp, that's not defined. That's not defined. There's no way to, there's no way to determine what the finish line is. The Gemara says, Pshitali digabi, I'm sorry. The one that was, I was a Pshitali, therefore it becomes clear to me. Digabi mizbeachtanan. That I will say, where was the race until? The race was until the top of the Mizbeach. So remember again, you would go up the ramp and whoever reached the top of the Mizbeach first won. Which was say, interestingly enough, I think when we read the Mishnah, to most of us, at least I don't know, so read, this seems to be like the most intuitive, right? That, that, yeah, it was a race up the ramp to the top of the Mizbeach. Okay, but the owner needs to work through it because again, at the end of the day, if you notice again, the Mishnah does not say explicitly what the finish line was. Now the Gemara says the finish line was the top of the ramp. Tisa the Gemara says, Baira Papa, Arba Amoshamru Behedja Ama Yisodva Amasobe. So both say, now the Gemara asks an interesting question. Papa asks, remember again, both say, by the base of the Mizbeach, there were two, well, I should say, by the base of the Mizbeach, there was a, there was a, there was a base. There was a base, right? The one Amma base that extended around, not all the sides of the Mizbeach, but some of the sides of the Mizbeach. And there was also a ledge. So we'll say, when we say up until the top of the Mizbeach, is that including the one Amma of the Yisod and the Sovev? The one Amma, the one, the one Amma, ultimately again of the ledge and of the base that surrounded the Mizbeach, Amma base, O Dilma, Bar Me Amma Yisod, the Amma Sovev. Or maybe, no, it's not including the Amma of the Yisod, the Amma of the Sovev, Teku, to which the Gemara leaves that question unanswered. So both say, what the Gemara is really asking is as follows. If you think about the one ama of the base and one ama of the ledge, so pretty much what that would mean, so the shaila is, when we say you reach the top of the Mizbeach, does that literally mean the top, top of the Mizbeach? Or does it mean once you get within two amos of what would be the ledge and the base? So the Gemara says, Tegu, we're not sure. We're not sure. The Gemara doesn't answer that. Okay. Remember again. So now, in, in this first iteration where they're racing up, if the race was a tie, remember again, a tie occurs in one of two ways. Either A, they literally get to the top of the Mizbeach at the same time, or both of you begin to see that what does a tie mean? They're within Dalar Amas of each other. So what do you do in that case? The coin the coin who's in charge of the lotteries, he says, he says, stick out a finger. And I was, uh, what I want to point out is as follows. I should have read this in Rashi in the Mishnah, but I didn't. To point out what's happening here is when they say that they stuck out a finger, the, the, the Kohen who was in charge of the lottery would assemble all of the Kohanim, right? It wasn't just the two tight Kohanim who would have the count off. It was all of the Kohanim who were around at that time would all be assembled in a circle. Would all be assembled in a circle. Now, the reason you do that is because as you're going to see, you can't do a count-off between two Kohanim because pretty much the result becomes immediately known. You'll see in just a moment. So you have to imagine then the scene is they're gathering all the Kohanim in a circle. So here we go. Says the Gemara. Tana, So what it says, we're going to see, I really, actually I should, I should have read it in Rashi. I'll just tell you this outside. Here's what they would do, Rabbi said. They would go ahead and assemble the Kohanim in a circle. 
right? The Kohanim, one of the Kohanim would remove his mitznefes, would remove his hat, and the Kohen Humamuna, the one who was in charge of the pious, would announce a number, Rashi points out. And it was a number that was much larger than the number of Kohanim assembled. So Rashi says, for example, he would choose 60, or he would choose 100. And every coin would have the right to go ahead and what? Stick out one finger or two fingers. And what would happen? The coin would go ahead and count. He'd go around and count. And whoever, whichever coin, the final number, the count would fall out on, that was the coin who ultimately, again, was selected to do the avoda. That's how it worked. Now we'll get to the thumb issue, because the Mishnah said you can't stick out a thumb. We'll discuss why that is. But I will say, but that's how the count occurred. So that, that's, again, that's, if you want to see it inside, that's in Rashi Hatzbiu. Rashi Hatzbiu. Okay, so it says the Gimara. So the coin who was in charge of the, of the counting, or I would say of the pious of the lotteries would say, extend the finger of the minion, and we'll count. So we'll say, so the, the unspoken child of the Gemara is, why, why don't you just count off Kohanim? Why do you have to count fingers? Well, so we'll say, why not just go ahead and say, okay, here's the number. I'll count Kohanim. Why are you counting fingers? To which Rabbi Yitzchak says, because we'll say it supports the idea that says that you are not permitted to count Jews. You're not permitted to count Jews even for a mitzvah purpose. Because we'll say the Gemara recalls the Pasik from Shmuel Aleph. So we'll say this is by Shal HaMelech. The Pasik says that he was counting the Jews to see the size of the standing army. And we'll say Bazek means pottery shards. Pottery shards. So how did Shaul count Jews? He counted them with pottery shards. Each person would come and deposit his shard, and that's when we knew the number of Chlad Yisrael. Maskev Ravashi, Ravashi said, Mimai, Tahai Bazak Lishna de Mivzaku. How do you know that Bazak means a pottery shard? Maybe I will say, Bazak is the name of a place. Rather, I will say, we learn the notion that you can't count Jews from here. Vayishma Shaul Asa'am. That Shaul ultimately again, Shaul once again gathered the nation. Was it was once again to go out to war against the Plishtim. And what did he do? And he counted them with sheep. So you see from here two examples. Even if you, don't, if you, see, even if you want to say that Bazak ultimately means a place and not pottery shards, we have two examples where counting was, or so fine, there's another example where Shaul counted people with sheep, but would not count people there. And I will say, the Marshal and others all raised the same kasha, which is, I don't understand, why do you have to bring a Pasuk in Navi to go out and tell me you can't count Jews? It's what I will say, it's Mufursha Pasuk in the Torah, it's Parshish Kisisa, right? It's the whole section of Machtis HaShakal. So the Marshal has a whole arichos there. Again, maybe that was the dinner in the Midbar. Maybe this okay, so again, the point over here is the Gemara is actively choosing not to focus on Machtas HaShakel, in Parshas Kisisa, but instead is choosing to learn this out from other places. So the Gemara says, Amar Kalamones Yisrael over Belav. So Belav says, if you count Jews, you are in violation of Allah. Shinei Amar, v'hayom mispar b'nei Yisrael k'chol hayom, asher lo yimad. So we'll say the Pasuk says, and again, here's what's fascinating is, we're quoting a Pasuk from Hosea. Not the Pasuk from Chumash, not the Pesukim, right? Torah says in Parshat explicitly, don't count Jews. And if you count Jews, so we'll say, all right, I'll tell you, fine. So the Marshal points out that it's possible that the whole issue with counting in Parshat Kisisa 
was tied into the Chet Egel. So it's possible that there's a whole Chet Egel tie-in, a whole, a whole Kapara for the sin of the golden calf, and that's why the Gemara is choosing not to learn out from there. So it's possible that that doesn't establish a rule that was just an episodic issue. When you begin to see these other psukim, they begin to tell us that halacha counting Jews is profoundly problematic. So the pasuk says over here, the number of Jews will be like the like the like the sea on the shore, asher lo yimad, which cannot be counted. So the Gemara's understanding asher lo yimad, Rabbi will say, is actually a declarative statement. It's a love. You cannot count Jews. Rav Nachar by Yitzchak Omer over b'shnei lav. Rav Nachar by Yitzchak says. If you count Jews, you are in violation of two lavin. Shneemar, lo yimod, velo yisaper. It says again, it shall not be measured and it shall not be counted. Amr Rabbi Shmuel bar Nachmani, Amr Rabbi Yonasan, Rami Ksiv. Pasuk will contrast the pesukim. On one hand, it says, "Vayomispar bnei Yisrael kichalayam." One pasuk says that the, that the number of Jewish people will be kichalayam, like the sand on the shore of the sea. Uksiv asher lo yimod, velo yisaper. But then it says. It shall not, we shall not be measured, not be counted. So I will say, when it says that we will be like the sand of the sea, that tells you what? There is a number. So I will say, as much as I can't count the sand, there, there are a certain number of sand particles. So it sounds like they are, we are countable. And then it says, we're immeasurable and uncountable. So which one is it? Are we measurable and uncountable or immeasurable? So which one is it? Lokasha, kam bizman shalmakom, kam bizman shalmakom. So I will say, so one is where we are performing the will of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and one is where we are not performing the will of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. When we're performing the will of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, we are simply immeasurable. When we are not, when we are not fulfilling the will of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, we are measurable. So the Gemara says, Rabbi Om Mishum, Mishum Abba Yosi Ben Dostoy Lokasha, Kan Bidei Adam, Kan Bidei Shana. But the other possibility is, it's impossible to count as Bidei Adam. But HaKadosh Baruch Hu, of course, can count this. So we'll say, it's important to understand this. We'll talk about, we'll talk about that the whole issue of counting is in just a moment. But I will say, this notion, this notion that Cloud Yisrael is uncountable. Mm-hmm. So first of all, we'll say, that was never true. That was never true. And we have no indication that that ever will be true. But remember, again, we're not a proselytizing religion. So it's not like that part of our messianic vision is that everyone becomes Jewish. We don't want everybody to become Jewish. We want Gentiles to remain Gentiles, and they should just be good Gentiles. That, 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 that's all we want. There's no, the Jews have not cornered the market on God. Anyone and everyone can have a meaningful relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and all you need to do is keep your Shem Yisrael Noach. So this notion of Jews becoming uncountable, then it Siv understands that it is a concept, ultimately, again, of what? Of influence. Of influence. See, when we say that Jews are uncountable, what that means is that the impact of Klan Yisrael on the world, the ability of the impact, the, the, the scope of the impact we have the ability to have is immeasurable. The impact we have the ability to give off is almost as if we were without limit. We were without limit. In fact, the Nitziv says, this is the whole pshat. When HaKadosh Baruch Hu tells Avinu, Av Hamon Goyim, you'll be a father of a multitude of nations. Is Avram Avinu a father of a multitude of nations? Is he really? Is, did he ever become a father of a multitude of nations? Okay, he's, 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 he's the father of Am Yisrael, he's the father of Yishmael, a lot of people, multitude of nations. Then it says, if you think about it, we'll say, Avram Avinu is the father of every major faith. Right? Every major faith religion, right? Every major, every major faith tra- traces itself back 
to an Abrahamic beginning. That's Avamon Gaim. Ultimately, again, Avamavinu exuded an influence on humanity like no other person in the history of the world. When we speak about this Yisod, that Claudius was Kichol Hayam, that we are like the sand of the sea, we were never like the sand of the sea, and there's no indication from a numeric perspective that we'll ever be like the sand of the sea. Elamai, the influence of cloudy Yisrael on this, you see this, you mamish see this all the time. The impact that the Jewish people have on the world is, 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 is far as outweighs our number. Right, far as outweighs actually the number of Jews in this world. That's the bracha. Asher lo yisaper velo yimod. Incredible. Amr Rabbi Nilai bar Idi Amr Shmuel. So we'll say. So just let's talk about this just a moment. What's this problem with counting? Because we're all familiar with this, right? In fact, the Yenavos say this Gemara is the makar. Is the makar actually? It's brought down to the Marsha. This idea of when you count for a minion, we don't count Jews. Actually, again, Yenavos say there is a minog that you could count fingers, although you could end up with uh, 27 people, even though you only have 10 Jews there. Uh, but this is the Makar for the Minog. Uh, how do we count the Minyan? Counting is something we just don't do. So the Gemara tells us we don't do it. say, what doesn't the Gemara tell us? Why don't we do it? So it's interesting. The Yaros Devash, Rabbi Yonasan Ibeshitz writes as follows. He says, I'm going to quote to you. He says, He says, this is incredible. In general, the world is judged by its majority. And the assumption is that the majority of Klav Yisrael, and even the majority of humanity, is good. Is good. So that's great. Rabbi said, this is Ramun Hilchus Tshuva. Ramun Hilchus Tshuva says, as long as the majority of the world is good, the world is sustained. So the good news is, at any given moment, the majority of Klav Yisrael is good, and the majority of the world is good. That's great. So therefore, again, if you're a member of, of humanity, you're in good shape because the world is, will be sustained because the majority is good. And if you're a member of Am Yisrael, the good news is that even if I'm in a state of personalistic disrepair, I'm not in a good place. But since I'm part of the clown, therefore what? I am nidon achar harov. I am judged after the majority, and the majority is good. The majority is spiritually healthy. Says the Rabbi Yonasan, I wish it's something so amazing. The moment you begin to count people is the moment you pull people out of the rove. You're one, you're two, you're three. You're pulling people out of the collective. Well, the moment you begin to pull people out of the collective, they're not part of the rove, which means what? They're looked at as individuals. When they're looked at as individuals, then their personal judgment is depending on their own personal zuchuyos and averos. And in any given moment, Rabbi Osai, it could be that I have more averos than mitzvos, and that could be problematic. So isn't this incredible? Therefore, Rabbi Yonasan Ayyubish, it says, we don't count Jews because we want everyone to be embedded in the cloud. Because when you are embedded in the cloud, you have the safety of being part of the rove of the Klal, and the rove of Klal Yisrael is always good. The rove is always good. Well, say, isn't this incredible? And it tells you the power, by the way, of being part of something bigger than yourself. The power of being part of Kehillah, the power of being part of community, the power of being part of Am Yisrael, that your need on Achar Harov, you get to kind of, for lack of a better term, hide yourself or cloak yourself in the collective piety of the nation. But the moment you begin to count 
is the moment you pull people out from the rove. The moment you pull people out from the rove, then at the end of the day, at the end of the day, then they must stand on their own merits or chasu shalom avera. So I'll say again, we see this. We see this especially in everything that's happening in these days, right? What happened in Meron, the terror attack yesterday. You know, we'll say we see this, that there's a power of being part of the cloud. You have to embed yourself in Klal Yisrael, you have to embed yourself at the end as part of the nation. It's true we're Yechidim, we're individuals, but at the end of the day, the greatest koach we have is when we embed ourselves within the people, feeling the tsaras of our people, feeling the simchas of our people. That's where we derive our strength. But I will say there's one more piece with this. The Ramah also has a whole other piece of this for us, although we don't have time for it today. I will say there's also something else with Kok. Says something so beautiful. He says, when you count things, when you count people, you assign an identity to a person. You assign an identity, right? They will say, right? You're one, you're two, you're three. That's an identity. See, I will say the problem with assigning, assigning defined identity to a person is that they could assume that they're locked into that identity. We'll say, I'll give you an example. The Nazis branded Jews. Branded Jews. Why, why, why did they brand Jews? Why, why, why did they put that? Again, many of us have some, I don't, I don't know if it's anyone parents, some of us parents, right? certainly many of us grandparents, right? earliest childhood memories, I remember of my grandmother, right? of her tattoo from Auschwitz on her arm. Why, why did they do that? Because that was part of the psychology of dehumanization. Because if you give someone a number, that's what you are. That's what you are. Your number, 093, whatever. That, that's, that's your number. It's tattooed right on your arm. That's who you are. And that's who you will always be. And don't try to become anything better or anything different. That's who you are. See, the problem with the number is a number assigns you an identity. We'll say, what is the greatest power of the Jew? The greatest power of the Jew is self-transcendence. The greatest power of the Jew is I can be whatever I want to be. I can be whoever I want to be. I, I was a certain person yesterday that doesn't define who I want to be today, who I can be today. I have been a certain person for the last 40 years that doesn't tell me who and what I can be in the next 40. I can become whoever I become. So Chazal say, who says, don't count Jews. Because just because you're number three now doesn't mean you have to be number three forever. But the nature of people is, once you give them a number, that becomes their identity. Once you give them a number, oh, that's why I'm, I'm a number three guy. That's why I'm, I've never been a number one. It just never worried out for me. I've never been a number one, right? I've always been a number three or number nine or number 22. That, that's kind of who I am. I'm just a face in the mix over here. But at the end of the day, says Rav Armin Kok, we don't count Jews because we never want people to get locked into an identity. We want people to know the power of self-transcendence, the power of making myself into whatever and whoever I want to be. So it's incredible. It's almost like two opposite things. Rabbi Yonas and Ibish, it says, we don't count because we don't want people to be pulled out. <laughs> we don't want you to be an individual. We want you to be embedded in the clown so that you could be nana, that you could benefit from the collective merit of Klal Yisrael. Rav Cook says, we don't count people. Why? Because we don't want to ascribe to people. We don't want to take away people's individual identities. We don't want people to just see themselves as a chilek, as a part of the collective. We want every single Jew to understand you are an individual. You can be whatever you want to be and you can be something different today than what you've been in for the rest of your life beforehand. So two opposite approaches, but they're both correct. 
They're both correct. We don't count because we need to be embedded in the cloud. But at the end of the day, we don't count because we need to be individuals and not just part of the collective. Incredible Yisod. So we'll say the Gemara says as follows. Or we don't count ultimately, again, because we don't want to get locked in to any one specific identity, but we want to always harness the power of self-transcendence. Incredible. Says the Gemara, Amr this is beautiful. Once a person has been appointed to a position of leadership on the tzibar, ultimately, again, Miss Asher, he becomes wealthy. Where do we find that from? Because it is incredible. Shaul, in the beginning of his monarchy, how did he count Jews? How did he count them? With pottery shards. And how did he count them in the end? And in the end, how did he count them? How did he count them? With sheep. So we'll say, see, see, Baruch Hashem, Shaul became wealthy. But don't we just, we'll say, so it's interesting, the Gemara presupposes that whose sheep did Shaul count the people with? His sheep. His sheep. That he, he had, the, right, he told people, come take one of my sheep. I don't know that they could keep it, but come take my sheep. And again, each of you put a sheep in a, right, I guess it was in like one pen, come put it in a different pen, we'll count how many people there are. I have Gerard said, I maybe people brought their own sheep. If that's the case, then what is the pastor coming to convey? So I said, the Torah doesn't, you know, the Navi doesn't need to tell us that he counted with sheep. The fact that he counted with sheep, the Navi is telling us that to show us that once he was appointed to a position of leadership, Baruch Hashem became wealthy. We'll say it appears, it appears that the logic behind that with the king, I guess this with, or what Rav Nilai's statement is, we'll say, what does that have to do? Persons appointed to a position of leadership so they become wealthy. How, how do the two stay? We'll say it could be that leadership brings with it so many overwhelming challenges and headaches that at least the Kaddish Baruch Hu says to the leader, if you're going to deal with all of the headaches, at least you don't have to worry about the Ol HaParnasa, right? You don't have to worry about money. You have every other headache imaginable under the sun, but at least with money, ultimately that you won't have to worry about. That's that word, Charles. The Gemara goes weiter. Boston, this is incredible, incredible Gemara. I oh, we should push davening to 7.30. So the Gemara says as follows, Vayorav Benachal. So let's listen to this. The Pasuk says, this is when Shaul went to war against Amalek. So it says, by Amalek, he fought with Amalek Benachal. Now, Benachal means the stream. Amrabani al iske nachal. Shaul struggled with the issue of the nachal. Now, I will say nachal means a stream or a riverbed. What does this mean? When Hashem said to Shaul, Shaul was given the sacred mission of destroying Amalek. So Shaul says to himself, If for once, one nefesh, the Torah says, Bring an Egla Rufa. Again, you find a person murdered in between two cities and you don't know who murdered him. Right? So the Torah says, bring an Egla Rufa, a calf. And the remember again, where do, you, where do you go out and behead the calf? Where do you decapitate the calf? Banachal, in the riverbed. So, so Shaul struggled. If for one, one person who's killed, we bring an Egla Rufa, and now Akadosh Baruch wants me to wipe out an entire nation, and even if you say the people did something terrible, what did the animals do? And if ultimately, again, adults went ahead and sinned, what did children do? So Shaul struggled with the mitzvah of Mechias Amalek. And he struggles, meaning he went in and he said, if we, for one person we do Egla Rufa, then for a whole nation, which, how could I do this? To which the Gemara will say something so profound. Sabosai Basko came out and said to Shaul, Don't be more righteous than God. 
Don't be too righteous. Don't be too righteous. We'll say, such an incredible yisod. That ultimately, again, the Ribbono Shel Olam gives us mitzvahs, Rabbi say. And just because sometimes the mitzvahs don't appeal to our sensitivities or to our isms, or the mitzvahs don't make sense according to, quote-unquote, our hashkafas or our worldview, Alti Tzadik Harbei, the Ribbono Shel Olam knows much better than us. The Moshe knows much more than us. And whatever HaKadosh Baruch Hu tells us to do, even if sometimes it doesn't make sense or doesn't appeal to our worldview, because Shaul, because Shaul exhibited these sensitivities, we contend with Amalek to this very day. So we have to stop over for today. We're not finished with Shaul. We'll pick up more with Shaul tomorrow.